My objective today is to try to convince you to stop playing the game of pretend. Because we all play a game called pretend, and you'll understand what I mean in a second. And so, um, to, to begin, I'd like to begin to go back to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 17. There is a story that is hidden in the book of 2 Kings that um, I want us to wrestle through a question. And the question is this, is it okay to play pretend with God? And you'll understand what I mean as we go through this. And as we read this, I want you to even consider what is happening, join in the story, and think about the ramifications of what's happening in this passage. 2 Kings 17, starting in verse 23. And in the ESV, it says this. Until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had spoken by all his servants the prophets, so Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day. So here's what's happening. Israel which is the northern kingdom of God's people. In the Old Testament, you have the whole nation of Israel, but it's divided in the southern half is Judah. They were the faithful side of God's people. Then you have Israel. They were the northern part, but they kept getting wicked kings. And God got fed up with them. He sent in the Assyrians to take them as slaves and brought them to Assyria. So that's why it says they were removed and the Assyrian king brought them up. Now watch verse 24. And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kadha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. Now Samaria was the capital of northern Israel. He took out the Israelites and he put all these strange people from Babylon and all over the place and had them settle where Israel once stayed. Verse 25 says, At the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. That means they didn't worship him, honor him, recognize him, or really believe he existed. They didn't fear Jehovah. Therefore, the Lord sent among them lions to kill them. So imagine you go in your backyard, normally there's a deer walking in the back path, a lion's back there, and your son's back there, and the lion just mauls him out of the blue. This is what was happening all over the place. Very strange. And the reason the lions were sent is because they did not fear God. It's kind of harsh. Verse 26, so the king of Assyria was told, the nations that you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria... Do not know the law of the God of this land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them. And behold, they are killing them because they do not know the law of God of this land. Why doesn't God do that anymore? What if he did that? I'm wondering how many of us would be mauled. That's kind of harsh. So the king of Assyria, in verse 27, said, Send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there, and let him go and dwell there and teach them the law of God. So they took one priest from Israel, and he came to Samaria to teach them about God. Verse 28, so the priest that they carried away 
came and lived in Samaria, went to Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. But every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the shrines of its high places that the Samaritans had made. Every nation in the cities which they lived. The men of Babylon made Succoth Benoth, the men of Kuth made Nergal, the men of Hamath made Ashima, Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak, Sepharvites burned their children in the fire to Adrimelech and Animelech, the gods of suffering. So they kept worshiping their gods, even burning their children in the fires of this god Molech. Molech would be this bronze statue and they would have a fire underneath the arms, and they'd put their little babies on the arms and let them be consumed as worship. That's not good. Hope you realize that's not a good thing. So don't you think he would send the lions now? But he, he didn't, actually, because they were given some idea of who God is. Verse 33 says, So they feared the Lord, but they also served their own gods after the manner of the nations from among whom they'd been carried away. So they feared God, and they worshipped their own God. They did both of them. But watch what, for what happens in 34. To this day, they do according to the former manner. They do not fear the Lord. Wait, it just said they fear the Lord, and they serve their own gods, but the idea is that, you know what, if you try to do both, ultimately you'll just start worshipping that which is not God. They will eventually win. So the Lord, in uh, verse 35, 36, and 37, made a covenant. He said, obey my statutes, and you shall not fear other gods. And in the end, verse 39, but you shall fear the Lord your God. However, they would not listen. And they did according to the former ways, which meant they kept worshiping idols. So these nations feared the Lord and also served their carved images. Their children did likewise and their children's children as their fathers did, and so they do to this day. My question is, is it possible to worship both? Because it doesn't say the lions were sent anymore. Isn't that a sign that God's pleased? So maybe he is okay with them worshiping both. You could say when the lions are gone, it doesn't mean the lion is, however. People pretend he is. Here's what I mean. Let's go now to Matthew 6. I've set up the context of, I think most people do this. They try to do both. They try to worship God, and then they try to worship their own idols, and we'll talk about this in a second. Does Jesus say this is okay? That's where Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus enters in verse 19, and he says this. Do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the idea is where your treasure is, that's who owns you. Who you give your treasure to, do you give it to God or what you're going to see or do you give it to your idol? Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, that's who owns you. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? We'll talk about that in a second. But here's the main verse. No one, and Jesus is saying this, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The, uh, the King James says mammon because the Greek it says mammonos, and we'll talk about that. And he's, Jesus says you can't do both. You can't. You can't be the Samaritans. You can't. I would say most of us give nod to this idea, but I'm not sure we believe it. And what Jesus is saying is that there's only two masters you can worship. Only two. He's very clear. Jesus is always clear. We, we often say that, you know, the Bible's confusing. Jesus is not confusing. He's saying it's one or the other. One or the other we give loyalty, fidelity, and allegiance to. Some of us, however, believe there's a third. I would say most of us believe there's a third God we can worship. And it's called autonomy. You know what? I, I don't worship, you know, sometimes I worship God, but I like to do what I want to do. Autonomy means I'm my own master. I do it my way. I'm my own man. I can do it myself. Well, Jesus never gives that option. In fact, it's the devilish lie that the second God always spins. Let's talk about the masters. Who are they? The first one, Jesus says in verse 24, is God. God. In the whole Old Testament, it reveals who God is. So the whole book of the Bible is about the revelation of God. And God in particular is Yahweh. When Moses goes to the burning bush, he says, what's your name? God says, I am who I am. That's where we get the capital letters for Yahweh. He's Jehovah. He's the Lord of the angelic hosts of heaven. God rules the armies of heaven. And to just kind of give you one verse that I think perfectly sums up the person of God and why we should have him as our master, why don't you go to Isaiah 44? It's just one little tiny verse. And if you wonder why Jesus should be, or God should be our master, I think verse 24 gives us all the reasons in the world. Verse 24 says, Thus says the Lord, and the Lord in that case is thus says Jehovah, thus says Yahweh. And then he identifies himself first as your Redeemer. So it's personal. I am your Redeemer. In other words, I bought you back like a pawn shop. I made you, you sold yourself in sin, and I bought you back. How did he buy us? The cross. So he bought us. Second thing he says, I'm the one who formed you in the womb. So God formed us in the womb. So he's the creator. And then the third thing it says, and I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Question, is, is anybody else um, compare to this? Is there any other God that even comes close to this who bought us out of sin, who made us in the womb, and who made everything you see? He's, he's, he's pretty awesome. 
There's nobody that compares. Romans 11 says, nobody even knows the mind of God. And so Jesus said that's a good option. That's option one. We can serve him or we can serve mammon. Back in Matthew, it uses the word money in the ESV. Mammon in the Greek is a comprehensive word for every kind of valuable good or material thing you see of worth. Jesus is using the word with, or, or in personification trying to say mammon is a competitive idol as God is an idol. But really it's the love of money. The love of money competes with God. Some people believe mammon is a fallen angel who deludes us with enchanted material property. And once it gets into us, we want more of it. But I think what Jesus is just saying is, it's really if you have money, you don't need God. You really don't need to pray if you have money. Now these are the two masters we can serve, God or man. What's interesting is Luke 12 sums up a great verse on how people view money. This is this man who build barns and bigger barns, hoard uh, all of his crops. And then he says to himself, he says, soul. He looks at himself, he says, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Look at all that you've stored up. And he says, because you have this, because it's now in your possession, why don't you relax? Why don't you just have a good time? That's the God of mammon. If you ever hear yourself talking to yourself like that, Mammon is having its way. So we can serve one or the other. And Jesus is saying, most people are serving number two, and it's a game of pretend because it doesn't even compare with God. So the question for you is, do you play the game of pretend? Are you playing pretend? Because I'll be honest with you, I do all the time. And I'll show you what happens to your mind when you play the game pretend. Two things. The first one is this. You start to believe that wealth, wealth equals a person's worth. That's why Jesus says, be careful in verse 19, don't store up, don't lay up treasures. Because the idea is if I can store up Man, I'm something. I'm somebody. Stored up wealth makes us feel good about ourselves and our situation. I don't really need to talk to you about this because it's in your bones. You get it. It's deep in there. Stored up wealth we call status. Status is where I think in relation to other people by what I have. That could be title, Possessions, positions, my looks, my ability, my family. Those people who have more of these things are seen as better. That's what status is all about. James 2, 1 through 4 says, Brothers, show no partiality. Just because a man has a gold ring and fine clothing does not make him better than the man with shabby clothing. In fact, James says, be very careful. If you give the guy with the nice clothing the front seat, and then the guy with the shabbing clothing, you say, sit in the back, it's a sign that the world has a hold of you. Mammon is having 
its way. What do people store up? What is wealth? How do we play this game of status? I would say in three ways. We first of all store up money and riches. And we think if we have enough at the end of this game called life, we win. That's really what commercials are all about. If you have what they're selling, you're winning. If you don't, you're losing. But money and riches, we all understand that. If I just take out my wallet and I, and I say, Caleb, would you like my money? It's a lot of money. Here, you want my money? Sure, he'll take my money. That's my money. That's my precious. Give it. It's the first time you listen to my sermon because money, <laughs> money. I'm sorry to use you, but you want it? <laughs> I wasn't going to give it to you anyway because it's my money. Mine. Smell it. Oh, I love money. I love money. I'll be honest with you. I, in my flesh, love it. Who does it? He says, sure, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take that off your hands. Give me that. But that's what we know what that is. It's in us. Like it, it's in us. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's also talking about title and honor. You know, these positions we strive and fight for. I brought up here, I've got my high school diploma up here. One of the top high schools in the nation, Fay High School from Cleveland. Look it up. Incredible school. I've got a, look at this, University of Dayton undergrad. Look at that seal. It's gold. I got that. I've got a master's degree. Do you know when somebody found out I had a master's degree, they say, oh, now I might be able to listen to him. He might know what he's saying. Because I got a mat. Look at how it shines. It reflects right. Look at that. Then I got an ordination. Aren't I something? Wow, I'm winning. I'm winning. Do you know how many people do this? Because I have this, I must be somebody? It's a game. We're playing pretend. Titles are important because everybody in the world plays pretend, so I want to impress those or at least give them an opportunity to listen to me because if I don't have this, they won't listen to me. Should we not strive for these, you can ask? Only for two reasons. If you have a big family, you need to make more money. That's important. Or what I would say, gain a voice with people who love to play pretend. Because honestly, if I'm getting these because that's the goal, just wait till you meet God. <laughs> Compared to God, we're nothing. And then I would say both of these, money and riches, title and honor, they actually are leading us to what really we all want. What we all think the end of the game is. Do you know what we all really want? And this is why we want riches, and this is why we want titles. Because we all just want to be left alone. I just want to have enough money and be left alone. We want pleasure and rest. I want to do what I want to do. I want to retire and play golf. I want to go to Shipchawana. I want to go on cruises. I want to buy more things. I want to watch as many sunsets on the water by my cabin as I can. So I need to store up so someday I can be left alone. Leave me alone. That's the end of the game. I win. 
I win. So if you get to rest for more years than other people do, you get to win. You win. And when you die, you get to go into the presence of God, and you get to tell him how you got to sit on more beaches than other people. And he'll be happy with you. He'll be pleased. He'll say, I'm so glad you won, that you rested more than anybody else. But then he might lean over and ask you a question. How are your grandkids doing? Do they even know me? Oh, the, my grandkids? Those kids drive me crazy. That's why I went to Florida. I wanted to get away from them. How about that church? You know the church that you're a member of? Do, uh, how are they doing with giving the gospel out? They do, I don't know. I don't know. It's too cold up there, some of those, you know? But I got to go on the beach. I understand I, there's a point in time when a person reaches an age when we get tired. But I would say if we all could retire and we had enough money right now, most of us would. Most of us would. If I inherited $20 million and I could buy my own little island with a boat, I would leave everybody because I win. I mean, deep down, that's what you want. I see it. I see it. So how do we fight this temptation? Because it's in us. How do we fight it? There's an antidote. I want to show you this antidote. It's 1 Timothy. This is an amazing verse. Because some people will probably say, oh, you're just telling me that you shouldn't have any money. Just be poor the rest of your life. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. And I think there's a balanced approach that Paul gives us in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19. This is how we fight the temptation to play pretend, to have status. Paul says, as for the rich in this present age, as for the rich in this present age, first of all, you might not consider yourself rich, but you are. I mean, you've heard that. You really are. So as for the rich in this present age, charge them, Number one, not to be haughty. Haughty means I am proud of all my titles and my storing. Look at me. Don't be haughty. Don't be proud of that. Secondly, he says, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of them, which we'll talk about in a second. That means don't live for the pot at the end of the rainbow. Don't set your hopes on that. Did you know once somebody gets it, they don't think they ever really get it. They're still always going for more. It's funny, once you get more riches, you're still not satisfied. And then it says, um, set your hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So it's okay to enjoy that beach, but not find meaning in that beach. They are to do good. So people are to do good, to be rich in good works, and be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So if I live like that, and I'm not trying to store up here, God says I'm actually storing up for heaven. My question is, what will the treasure chest in heaven look like? 
What will your treasure chest in heaven look like? First thing I will tell you, we'll not have gold because heaven's asphalt is made of gold, so you won't want gold in the first place. But what I think treasure in heaven will be are faces. A lot of different faces. People you have influenced to know the Lord who are shining as bright as the noonday sun. And when you enter heaven, they're the ones that are going to run and say, I've been waiting for you. I think that's the treasure he's talking about. Not things, because what's going to be interesting is um, in heaven, you're not going to need the house because you're going to, the carpenter's going to be there. So how do you know if you're playing pretend? Well, wealth equals worth. Second way, you know how you're playing pretend? Is possessions are what give you peace. That, that's how you know you're worshiping mammon. The bigger my bank account, the more satisfied with life I'll be. If I work out daily on my Peloton bike and ride with other people looking at those screens and say, come on, you can do it with new yoga pants, I win. I win. I'll be healthier than everybody else. If I have the house of my dreams, I will always be happy until my kid drops grape juice all over the new carpet. Then I need a new house because it's no longer perfect. <laughs> and if I get the right financial portfolio, I don't need to worry because I'll always be taken care of. I'll finally have peace. Where does anxiety come from? And I was thinking about this for myself. Where do I get, where does anxiety really get me? I think it's, it's that I don't have enough to take care of my needs. And then what happens, God says, well, remember what I said in Hebrews 13, 5? I will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know all that. I know all that. But I would rather have enough money so I don't need to lean on God. That's mammon. And mammon's voice is so seductive. If I just had enough money that I didn't need to pray. Because it feels like I have to pray every day. Maybe there's purpose in that. Maybe God would like to have a relationship with you so he doesn't give you everything you need. So you'd ignore him. And when the cash gets low, the car sputters and spurts and a roof and a house leaks, do you lose it? I do. Peace is gone because I somehow in the depth of my soul believe this and God says stop believing that because you're playing pretend. It's pretend. This world is falling apart. Is what Jesus says here in 19, if we go back to Matthew 6. He says, there is not going to be security because this is the reality. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why not? Why not? Because that's where moth and rust destroy. That's where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven because moth and rust can't get up there. Thieves 
aren't going to be crawling around up there. They're not going to try to steal your identity up in heaven. The reality, the reality is if this earth is where you're looking for your dreams to come true, they won't. Because on this earth, there is no satisfaction and really there's no security. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, things inevitably perish. Your most beautiful flower is beginning to die, so you immediately pluck it. You will soon have to throw it away. That is true of everything in this life and world. It does not matter what it is. It is passing. It is all fading away. Everything that is life as a result of sin is subject to this process. Things develop holes and become useless, and at the end they are gone and become utterly corrupt. The most perfect physique will eventually give way and break down and die. The most beautiful countenance will in a sense become ugly when the process of corruption has ended. The brightest gifts fade. Your genius may soon be gibberish and delirium as a result of disease. So however wonderful, beautiful, and glorious things may be, they will perish. Johnny Cash in the song Hurt says, What have I become? My sweetest friend, everything I know goes away in the end, and you can have it all, my empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. In other words, it's a game of pretend. A game of pretend is fun to play. It's fun to play if the risks are not high. If you lose at board games, the worst that can happen to you is you get upset at Jared Doty because he'll rub it in and he'll beat you. <laughs> he normally beats you. If you go play golf, the worst you'll lose in golf is maybe 30 bucks and three golf balls in the bottom of the pond. But losing at this game, this game of pretend with mammon, it's deadly. It's deadly because the game involves a lion who can devour you. And his objective is to hook you, to capture you, because he wants you to worship him. Look at the language in verses 21 through the end of verse 24. Remember, Jesus says he wants you to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's what mammon wants. Verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye, that's your mind. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. In your souls, verse 24, it's about serving. That's your will. No one can serve two masters. Mammon's objective is to capture your heart, mind, and your soul. People often will say money's just a tool. Oh, no, it's not. It can be, but if you're not careful, there's somebody behind the tool trying you to worship them. First, the idol captures your heart. Heart is about love. It's about desire. It's about, I want it. Sure, I'll take the money. Caleb, sure. And then what happens, it starts taking over your mind and your soul. It's like having a relationship. People have a relationship with money. They hold tight to it. They think about it all the time. It darkens them. That's what he means in verse 20, 
Luke 3. If your eyes bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Jesus says this in John 3.19. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, meaning Jesus has come into the world, Jehovah. But people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They really would rather worship the darkness. That is why Jesus says, if your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. And you've seen that person. You've seen a person whose heart and mind has been completely captured by mammon. It's no longer a game. It's light. One man writes, Mammon is subtle. When people succeed and prosper, the idealism of youth is lost. Cynicism takes over. Noble values and dreams are tossed aside for counting and storing up. When a person's overcome by mammon, they may still be a very nice man. Moreover, even Justin Wise, but he's not the man he was when he was young. Something has been lost. And I think we all understand it. Because the older you get, the more the grip takes a hold of you. And the older you get, the more you want to protect what you've stored. In verse 24 says, it's not just about protection, it's about service. You start serving. Everything's about money. And I will begin to say no to those things that will affect my plans for that money. For that rest that I want. I want to end on a story, and it's about a story about when mammon becomes God. And the story is about two calves. Actually, sorry, money can become an idol. Here's the story I want to end. A farmer one day went with great joy to tell his wife and family that their best cow had given birth to twin calves. One was red and one was white. And he said, you know I have suddenly had a feeling and an impulse that we must dedicate one of these calves to the Lord. We'll bring them up together, and when the time comes, we will sell one and keep the proceeds, and then we'll sell the others and give the proceeds to the Lord's work. His wife asked him which he was going to dedicate to the Lord, and he said, there's no need to bother about that now, he said. We'll treat them both in the same way, and when the time comes, we will know, and I'll decide. So off he went. In a few months, the man entered his kitchen. He looked very miserable and unhappy. And when his wife asked him what was troubling him, he answered, I have really bad news for you. The Lord's calf is dead. But she said, you have not decided which one was the Lord's calf. Oh, yes, he said. I always have decided it was the white one, and the white one died. The Lord's calf is dead. Here's my question. Why does it seem like it's always the Lord calf that dies first? When money becomes difficult, when plans, time runs out, the first thing we economize is our contribution or our dedication to God. It's always the first thing that goes. It's always the first thing we kill. Because most of us are playing pretend. We really are worshiping mammon while we're acting like we're worshiping God. Because we think, since the lion's not devouring us right now, I must be okay. But the question we have to answer, 
can we honestly worship both? Jesus doesn't seem to think so. How about you?